Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Living Astrology with Janet Hickox. Grab your cup of coffee or your tea, sit back, and let's chat about what is happening up in the stars above for today and as well for the weekend. Uh, if you are checking in with me, I would love it if you would tell me if you can hear me okay. I am kind of forced to use my headset today because, of course, the Pacific Northwest is having a heat wave and I have fans going here in my room and it makes it hard for me to hear um, with the sound and I didn't want that sound in the background. So uh, first person to check in with me, uh, please tell me if you can hear me. And good morning, Debbie Tippett's two meals. So hopefully you're the first one in there. So maybe you can tell me if you can hear me and uh, all right, uh, without a lot of background noise. So I don't, he's, I don't see anybody saying they can't hear me. So I'm gonna just go with you guys can hear me. Uh, Asa, I can hear you, awesome. So thank you, Christine, thank you, Asa. Uh, good morning, JLo and Christine Buckingham. Good morning to you. It's great to see everybody. Lisa Pedro, thank you very much for letting me know that. Uh, so today, um, we're going to spend a, a, most of the broadcast, we'll talk about Venus moving into the sign of Libra this weekend. And as well today, as happened when we talked on Monday about Mercury moving into the sign of Virgo, um, the moon was also in the same sign as uh, the inner planet. So today, here we are with the ending of the moon's transit through Libra and Libra being the sign that on Sunday, Venus will move into. So we have a great discussion uh, about Libra energy today. And then as the moon shifts over later this evening into the sign of Scorpio, uh, we'll also, and then spends the weekend in Scorpio, uh, we will talk about uh, the energy of Scorpio. Now, I'm just going to toss a question out there to people because I, I'm not sure if it, maybe because I'm sensitive because I just lost somebody near and dear. Uh, but it seems to me that there are a lot of people exiting this planet at the moment, not uh, COVID notwithstanding, right? There, the, we know that there's this, you know, leaping off point that uh, souls are leaving. But it just seems like to me that we're hearing about a lot of people, young people that are exiting the planet. And in the midst of your own, in my family, the midst of our own tragedy, we're, we're having that piled on with other people who are passed on just in the recent last few days, not necessarily in our family, but friends of my children who, um, you know, had uh, interactions with these people throughout their lives. And I have to say, that I have a whole new perspective on what goes on in the afterlife, if you will. And that's because my friend out there, friend and fellow listener, uh, Ursula, <laughs> sent me a book. She sent the book to me for my daughter, Heather. But for whatever reason, I picked that book up and uh, just intending to go put it you know, aside for Heather, uh, as I'll see Heather on, on Sunday. And uh, instead, I opened it up and I've almost finished it. I mean, I have like maybe, I don't know, 10 pages left before I'm done. And this is the book, The Afterlife of Billy Fingers. 
And the little caption down here says, how my, whoa, how my bad boy brother proved to me there's life after death. And it's by the author, Annie Kagan. Let me move it this way so you guys can see it without the thing in the way. Annie Kagan. And I went from the day Ursula was sending me this book, which I thought was like Tuesday, where I was still in tears a good chunk of the day where, you know, I thought of Brian, I started crying. I saw a picture of Brian, I started crying. I had a thought and I started crying to me being able to change that focus a little bit by reading this book. I would recommend it. If you haven't read it, if you even if you have read it, Debbie Tippett's to me, I'll read it again, right? I think this is one that we can read over and over again as it really does a fantastic job of describing what happens at death, what happens after death. And it is so believable. I mean, there's no part of this book that I was reading where I went, that's too fantastical or that's too, you know, out there. Um, instead, I felt a peace inside. I felt like there were some answers answered for me that um, uh, I hadn't had before. I hadn't had before. So it's a really good book. And I see lots of you have read it. Kristen Page, good morning. Corey, good morning. Um, Christine Buckingham apparently has read it. Monique Alexander, good morning to you. And Asa says, yes, I agree with you. A lot of young souls. And uh, Natasha, good morning to you. Thank you. Amanda J, good morning. And lots of Debbie, lots of people leaving. It's a, It seems like it's an epidemic. Besides the epidemic that is COVID, um, it seems like there are just a lot of people leaving the planet. On one hand, that concerns me. But on the other hand, I'm thinking that if you're in the midst of a major change, maybe it needs a sufficient number of people on the other side, as well as uh, souls on the other side, as well as souls on the planet to uh, initiate that, that change. No, we're not going to restart right now. Um, so maybe that's the case. I don't know, but it just seems to me like I'm hearing every day of more people passing away, young people, uh, not just the people you expect to pass because they've been sick or, or have had an illness or are elderly or facing, you know, death through, you know, a disease, but just people that are young and vibrant and loving and generous and kind and, oh, wow, right? So it it boggles the mind. And it also, I think for some people, it sets your nerves on edge, right? It sets your nerves on edge. I was reading a post by someone last night that I hadn't, that used to, uh, I used to see her in here. Um, um, Lex Wolfberg, Wolf, Wolfberg, I think. And she was saying about how she just felt this heavy, this weight, like, like, I describe it as after Brian died, I felt like when's the other shoe going to drop? Like there was something else that was going to hammer, uh, hammer us as people. I had that feeling. I think that was um, sadness. I think that was, you know, um, grief perhaps for, for my part. Um, but, you know, people like that, she's very intuitive and she's also very, um, she, not necessarily someone who's had a loss like this in the recent past, but she's feeling this. And I think there are a lot of out there, a lot of you out there that might be feeling this too. So I just wanted to say that whatever it is that may or may not happen based on 
what we're feeling, that there's a certain rightness to it. It may not feel good, right? Losing my son was the most devastating thing I've ever had to experience in this lifetime. Um, but it feels like there's a purpose that is that I'm blinded to perhaps, or that I just can't see. And in that, there's a little bit of some of peace, perhaps, right? That that this lifetime that we have on Earth doesn't end just because our bodies die. That there's something much more profound at work. I think we always have had a sense of that, right? We call it heaven, or we call it God, or we call it the other other life, or something like that. But I think there's something that's much more profound in all of that, that is yet for us to be discovered. Maybe we're not meant to know all those answers exactly, but I think in this book, she does such a great job of bringing through the words of her brother and sharing that I was comforted. So even if you're not someone who's just had someone pass away or have faced you know, a recent death. We've all faced death in some way in our families or uh, in our friends or just in our world in general. Uh, I think it might be a really good book for everybody to take a look at. So uh, I'll leave that there. The book name, Corey, is The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, How My Bad Boy Brother Proved to Me There's Life After Death. And it's written by um, uh, Annie Kagan. Annie Kagan. So thank you, Ursula, for having sent that book. Thank you all who have been sending me books. Don't by any means think that I'm not grateful for all of the books that have come because they've all played their part in my um, healing of this issue in my life or of this, you know, um, experience. And uh, but this one to me just stuck out as, I don't know, something that I feel like all of us could benefit from, right, as we are facing these people that are exiting um, on their way to to another place, right? Uh, in my, and so Natasha says, in my mediumship that I do, I have the honor of being the voice for the young ones who have left us early um, and give a voice for them, for their families. That's wonderful, Natasha. And so I think, and in indeed, we all have the ability to do that. Tara 22, hello, delighted to see you. Leslie Zuber, good morning, it's great to see you. Michelle Katz Kramer, good morning. And uh, anybody else, if I've missed you, say, you know, let me just say good morning to you all. Um, <clears throat> now I want to share uh, a bit of a story, <laughs> like a synchronicity, right, out of all of this. Um, my daughter and I were sent a link from uh, Ursula, I think it was, that sent me this link to the Shift Network to listen to a, a woman named Suzanne Giesman, who is a medium. And she also teaches mediumship and she has lots of different programs. And she just happened to be um, promoting a course, I believe it was, uh, on the Shift Network. And so my daughter, Heather, who's getting all of this sort of medium uh, energy coming in and beginning to really awaken her third eye. And it's, it's just an amazing thing to watch unfold. Um, so she and I listened to this broadcast. Well, fast forward a couple of days later. In fact, Heather bought the program and she's been doing the coursework, right? So she's opening up more and more. Um, a few days later, my friend Londa and I were having a chit chat and she starts to tell me about this woman that dropped by her friend's property in Montana. And uh, she said, I think her name was Suzanne and she's a medium. And I said, 
Suzanne Giesman? <laughs> she said, yeah, that's her. So I have this connection now with Suzanne having dropped by a friend's, uh, uh, friend's property to probably do some kind of coursework or something there at her property. And then um, after this, we end up with another connection to Suzanne Giesman. And I just, this name keeps coming up, right? This name, this person keeps coming up. Her books, her, her programs, her, her things. And um, yesterday, I decided to, I was going to give my old telephone to my granddaughter. And we were sitting in my car. We decided to grab some lunch. We were sitting in my car eating lunch. And um, I just said, you know, I miss Brian. And she said, me too. And I, I asked her just out of the blue, because I know she happens to be, she's 10. She happens to be very open uh, psychically and intuitively. And I said, you haven't seen him, have you? And she said, she opens her eyes big, like, oh my gosh, how do you know this? Right. She, and, and shakes her head. And I said, well, tell me about it if you want to. So she tells me about it. And, um, First, she tells me that she knew he was going to die, that that the day before she had been given the information that one of her uncles was going to be in a very bad accident. And, um, of course, suicide's not necessarily an accident. But in this case, I believe that it was very much an accident. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, and then she said, but he's come to visit me twice. And the second time he had someone with him and it was a guy, but I don't know who he is. And I said, Hmm, I wonder who that might be. And then I happened to remember that one of Brian's closest friends passed away in uh, 2019. I think it was. Yeah. Just before the whole COVID thing came out. And uh, so I sent her some pictures and I said, is this the guy? But I sent her the pictures. Uh, I sent different, you know, views of the picture of of him that I got from his mom, and sure enough, she goes, "That's him." So now we know, on top of that, that children who are very open are also being given the gift of the connection to people on the other side and being able to have these conversations, but also bring back the information to us that was so comforting. I was so comforted that he wasn't alone. I didn't think he was alone anyway, right? When I visualize him, I almost see two lights, two pillars of light, his and someone else's. I thought maybe it was his uh, grandma, but maybe it is Brandon, this his friend. So there are, is so much, <laughs> so much magic going on around this. And out of the sadness comes this recognition that life goes on, but just not in the same way. Like I can't touch Brian and hold him as I would have in the physical realm, but I can have almost a closer relationship to him by connecting in the um, spirit realm. So anyway, I didn't mean to get into all of that this morning, but there's just this magical thread that is going through. And I know because not only is my family experiencing death and then deaths on top of deaths, um, but maybe you all are as well. And maybe reading something like this, The Afterlife of Billy Fingers or hearing my stories can help you, right? That would be the 
highest and best that I could expect that that what my experiences are might help soothe somebody else who's going through uh, something like that. Uh, Christine, I have asked him to come to me. Allison, good morning to you. Sylvester, Grand Rising, sending love and positive vibes. I love it. Good morning, Londa. And uh, anybody else that I've missed. It's great to see you all. So uh, at any rate, let's jump into the astrology, shall we? Since that's really the name of the game here this morning. Um, today, the moon is in the sign of Libra. And looking at where it is, it's about 23 degrees, probably 24 degrees right now. And uh, that means that very soon we're going to be entering into the void, in fact, at 1.40 p.m. this afternoon, my time. So 3.40, wait, 3, 4.40 <laughs> for those of you on the East Coast, we will be entering into the void, of course, moon. And that will last until 5.02 p.m. Uh, West Coast time, 8.02 p.m. tonight. At that point, then the moon moves out of Libra and into the sign of Scorpio, where it will spend the weekend. So we have a dual moon today that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to spend the most time on the one in Libra, even though we're at the end of Libra, because I think it sets the stage for us to talk about the next piece in Libra, which is about Venus moving into the sign of Libra. So as we have the moon in Libra, we are focused then on what I like to say are the three C's, right? Three C's, collaboration, cooperation, and co-creation. Those are the things, the key words that I always think of when I think of Libra energy, the highest and best of Libra energy. Um, and of course, we all know that Libra as a sign rules our relationships, marriage, partnerships, business partnerships. It is uh, the ruler of the agreements that we make between one another. It is the sign of sharing. It is about interdependence. Now, that's a big key word in all of this, because not only is the moon bringing that to us uh, at this moment or even over the last couple of days, but Chiron anchored in the sign of uh, Aries, exactly opposite of Libra, is also pointing out where we have the wound about interdependence. Maybe the wound is in our codependence, right? Maybe the wound is in our need to be totally independent. And in our total independence, then we forget to reach out and ask for help or support from our friends or our loved ones. So we have a lot of lessons that we're learning around how we get along, right, about how we enter into relationships, how we behave in our relationships. So the focus then with uh, the moon in Libra would be the emotional connection that we have with one another and the connection that we have to things as well, like our values, right, the values that we hold as people, as a family, as a, a community, um, as a group, right? So all of those types of things that we think of that hold us together are common core values, right? So there is that that's also highlighted during this period of time, as well as there's a financial aspect to it, especially once Venus moves into Libra, because Venus rules money. And Venus as the ruler of Libra, is also bringing us the financial part of this. And when I talk about the financial part, it isn't just the exchanging of money or the earning of money, although that's a part of it. It is the uh, concept of giving and receiving. And giving and receiving are the same or different sides of the same coin. 
And I've had to really, this has been a big thing for me to have to sit back and receive. That's always been difficult for me. I've always wanted to be the giver. Um, the biggest lessons I'm learning at this moment are about how to receive and how to receive in grace, how to receive graciously, and to accept that other people also like to be the givers. So we have that that we're going to be focused on as well, as Libra is a giving sign, right? It is a giving sign. And often it shows us where we also need to be in receivership, right? Be in the receiving. Remember, Uranus is sitting at the gate two in our human design. That's the gate of allowing, the gate of receiving. It's very yin energy. It is feminine energy, the feminine of receiving into uh, the core of who we are. So we have that in focus. Uh, Libra is also a sign of fairness, right? The scales, um, the scales of justice, the scales of fairness represent the sign. So we have balance and equality. We have negotiation, right? The ability for us to collaborate, to co-create, to cooperate come from Libra and its connection to fairness. And then out of fairness, out of the need to negotiate or to find balance comes harmony, right? Harmony and peace. And then once we get into harmony, we can start to talk about the aesthetic side of Libra, the beautiful side, right? The art, the beauty, uh, the, the elegance, right, of Libra as a sign, the beauty that Venus gives to Libra in this particular sign. Or, I mean, gives to uh, the, the beauty that Venus gives to Libra as one of the gifts that the sign holds. Uh, teamwork, cooperation, right? Cooperation involves teamwork and supporting one another, supporting a group vision or a group um, uh, mission. So team identity, being available as a team member and not necessarily being the maverick and out there on your own. Remember, we're learning the lessons here of interdependence. Interdependence has no room for codependence. And it really doesn't hold room for independence either. Now, I'm not saying that independence is an issue. I'm saying that because we're trying to find balance here, we have to find that balance between being totally dependent and being totally independent. And that's where interdependence comes in. Um, the sociability ability part of Libra, right? Tact and diplomacy, the art of uh, communication and being able to um, mediate between maybe two different opinions. Um, I, I always think of Libras as consummate debaters but they're also consummate mediators, right? They can, they can see both sides or all sides of an issue or of a problem. And so getting along is one of their hallmarks, right? The, the, the ability to, even though we may have different beliefs or we may have different ideologies or we come from different backgrounds, that isn't a reason for us to not be able to get along, right? We need to learn to value one another and the differing experiences and ideas that we all have. And as well as we take beauty and harmony one step further, the aesthetics one step further into refinement, right? Libra in its highest as far as beauty is a highly refined sign. And what I mean by that is elegance, right? Good taste, um, grace, we're going to talk more about grace. She's going to visit us indeed today because of Neptune moving into the gate of grace in human design. We're going to talk more about that. 
and luxury, the idea of, of comfort and beauty being surrounded by those things, right? So beautiful smells or uh, just beautiful flowers or whatever it is that makes you feel good, right? It's beauty. Um, you know, Venus also takes on those qualities when she's in Taurus. So Taurus and Libra are linked through Venus in their ability to create space, to create a loving, beautiful, harmonious, peaceful space, right? So keep that in mind. Um, good morning, Annie Babcock. Thank you so much for your condolences. She would have been 13. Oh, no, what happened here? Um, Londa, Synarchy, Indeed, Negotiations, and Rupam Roy, welcome. And um, something, there's Annie. Okay, Ms. Natasha Venter, I lost my baby girl at five days old. Her dad shook her and she passed six days later. I've had some contact with her on the other side many years ago, but I would love to hear from her. Oh, wow. So, so sorry for you, Annie. I totally have never had that experience, um, but I did just lose a child myself. I totally understand the heartbreak that that brings and the need, the, the, the peace that comes when you feel their presence on the other side. Uh, so I hope, hope Natasha can help you with that. Okay, now, uh, when we talk about a sign, we always have to talk about what goes on in the more lower vibration, right? The, the lower frequency of that sign. In the sign of Libra, there is the tendency to lose oneself or self-identity. And that happens through codependency, uh, through indecision sometimes, where we just can't make a decision. We can get caught up in our minds and seeing all the different sides of any different issue. So it makes it hard to make uh, a decision. And there's also the aimless and endless debate that can happen uh, with Libra when you can get them onto a subject and they just keep going and going and going. They can become very argumentative, that Venus energy turning into the more Martian energies of anger and confrontation. In the body, Libra rules the adrenals. The adrenal glands sit on top of the kidneys uh, or right behind the kidneys. And the kidneys are also ruled by Libra energy as well. Diabetes, right? The inability to balance one's sugar, to balance the sweetness in life coming in through the sign of Libra. So while we have the moon there, maybe there's a great contemplation about what that might mean for you and how you might be able to, um, you know, use the moon's energy in Libra to further your relationships, your finances, your, up your collaboration, co-creation and cooperation quotient during this period of time. Um, now, because I want to balance this broadcast with human design energy, astro design, right? That's my specific way of doing things here where I like to take the astrology of something and the human design and blend them so that you can see from both points of view um, what the energies are bringing for us. So uh, just a moment here, I need to bring this up and then I'm gonna come back and share my screen with everybody. Boom, boom. Now you should be seeing Venus and Libra Oh, and add a subheading. <laughs> that part you don't need to see. <laughs> Somehow that got in there. Um, but what I wanted to show everybody was that at the moment that we have the moon in Libra and ultimately Venus moving into Libra on Sunday, we begin to start to deal with the energies of the spleen center in your human design. 
Now the spleen is the center for uh, time, intuition, health. It is uh, one of the oldest centers here that, that is about survival energy. So it has been the energy that we've worked with to keep ourselves alive. In it is the fight, flight, freeze energy, right? The survival energies. And as we have evolved as humans on the planet, some of this energy has turned into the fear field, right? The shadow energies in these gates here on the spleen are all about fear, false evidence appearing real, the acronym for fear. This particular center in its lowest extreme, in its lowest, uh, the shadow level, is about alarm, right? Alarm, when we hear alarm bells going off, Interesting, this morning I was sitting out on the front porch early, uh, like I was up at six o'clock, I went outside, it was like 65 degrees um, already here. Uh, so I'm sitting on the front porch and I hear alarms going off and I'm thinking to myself, wow, somebody's house, right? That was a house alarm, not a car alarm. And uh, so alarm, right? That gives us the hint that there's something wrong and that, or something that we need to be aware of, the awareness of alarm right? So that's the shadow energy, because what happens is that alarm turns immediately into fight, 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 flight, or freeze. When we can move to the gift level of this center, this center, the spleen center, we get to intuition, right? This center is the center for intuition, the ability to have an instinctual awareness of what the truth is in the moment. So I'm sitting on the front porch, I hear this alarm, it's pretty far off in the distance. Is that something I need to be concerned with? Likely not, right? It was so far away that I wouldn't have even known whose house that might have been. I had no clue what the situation might have been. Maybe the person locked themselves out of their house and didn't set the alarm or they opened the door and went in. Who knows, right? I did not know. So the um, alarm, didn't need to be reacted to or responded to because my intuition was telling me all is well, right? All was well. In the highest expression, so we're kind of waxing a little gene keys-ish here. In the highest expression of this particular center, we have presence, right? Presence. And that's different, isn't it, than the way that we usually think of presence here because this is the ability to sort of have an overview to be completely and wholly in the body and in your awareness at any moment to know what it is that you must respond to. So it's I, I liken this to the energy that we talk about for manifesting generators and generators where they need to respond to what is showing up in their world, right? Responding to the outer world, not reacting to it. We also talk about this with the emotional center, right? The solar plexus and the energy of being able to respond versus reaction. And that takes some presence, right? It takes your presence to be able to determine, is this something that I need to worry about? Is this something I need to respond to or not? So I hope that makes sense for everybody. If you have questions, certainly send them to Asa. Asa I, do have my, I do have my phone in front of me. Um, okay, so, all right, if you have questions, send them to Asa, she will certainly get them to me, thank you. Uh, now, let's take a look at what these gates 
mean? Because if you know and understand what the shadows are or the, the, the propensity that we have to react to or be in the shadow energy, then you can recognize it in yourself and you can stop that uh, in its tracks, right? So you don't have to be in fear. You don't have to be um, responding to the fear in a way that is reactionary, right? You can be responding from a space of peace and from a choice that is empowering and not disempowering. Okay, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the first gate that Venus is going to be moving through is the gate 46. You might remember this is kind of a continuing thread from our conversation on Monday, where the last gate that the moon went through in Virgo was the gate 46, which is about being in the physical body. It's about physical embodiment. So the love of being in the physical, taking care of the physical being. So Libra finishes that um, gate and then moves from this identity center, which is the center of self, into the gates that are on the spleen. So we have now the potential to express the gates that, that bring up fear for us. And the first gate that, uh, that uh, will hit is... Uh, oh my gosh, now I totally lost that. It is, oh, it's the gate. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Where's my little book? I was right, it is, nope, that's July, August. It is the gate 18. Okay, that's right. So the gate 18 down here is the first gate that Venus will hit on the spleen and that will start next week. So you can sort of see that there's gonna be about three days or so of Venus at each of the gates here in the spleen center. The first gate 18 is uh, the gate that we think of as perfectionism, uh, the gate of judgment, the gate of improving, right? So improving, because this is a gate that always sees sort of the, the need to improve on something or where something could be more perfect or um, could be better. The problem in the gate, the fear, is that it's never gonna be perfect, right? And that no matter what I put out, it's not good enough. So I keep working at it, I keep worrying over it, I keep um, sort of an anxiety around the perfection of something. So it's like an author perhaps writing a book, but then never getting it out to, um, to publish because they keep rewriting the chapters, right? Every time they think they've got it perfect, there's something that comes up, there's afraid, they're afraid that, oh, this isn't right, so I need to change this. And before you know it, they never get the book published. So the gate 18 can sometimes create such a fear in us that we don't put forth our work or we don't do what we want to do because we're holding back because we feel like we need more improvement or it's just not perfect yet. Um, uh, Libra. Okay, so question from Londa. How about thyroid for Libra? Uh, no, actually, the thyroid is more Taurus, right? Taurus rules the throat, and the gates of the throat come through Gemini and begin in Taurus. So we have a lot of connection with the thyroid gland uh, up here in the gates of the throat center. And note that there's nothing in the throat center for uh, Libra energy. Now, fear, you know, if in your personal human design chart, let's say you have a defined throat and maybe you're a Taurus, right? Or you have Taurus prominent in your chart. For, certainly the gates of fear here can trigger 
um, issues with the thyroid. Think about this, the 57, it has a pathway up to the throat. The 48, it has a pathway up to the throat. And all of the other gates can make it to the throat um, more circuitously, of course, but there are at least two gates here that make it can make it directly to the throat. So it can be the stress or the fear reactions that can create the thyroid imbalance in a person as well, depending on how the throat looks. Now, again, these are correlations, right? These are just correlations. They're not one-to-one -one relationships. So I can't say that, oh, if you have the gate 48 to the gate 16, you're gonna have thyroid problems, or if you're a Taurus, you're gonna have thyroid problems. That, that there is no hard and fast rule about that, but there can be a tendency to have those kinds of issues, right? So those things can show up. Um, okay, so the gate 18, the next gate up after that is gonna be with the gate uh, 48. We move up here to this corner. This is the gate uh, called the well. And the gate 48 is so fascinating to me of all the fear gates that there could be <clears throat> because the fear is we don't know enough. We don't have enough information. We haven't got enough credentials. We don't have enough diplomas on the wall. We don't have enough letters after our name indicating that we have mastery in something. And it turns out in the gate 48, everything that we need is inside, right? So I'm not saying that we don't need to go to school to become a doctor or that we don't need information in order to do Reiki or to do astrology. That's not what I'm saying. But for those of you who feel inadequate and keep looking for more and more information or more and more validation that you know your stuff, before you actually do your stuff, this gate will show you that there's also the component in your in your <coughs> in your learning that is about mastery in demonstration, right? Demonstrating, experience, um, experimenting. So the gate 48 can trigger us in terms of um, feeling inadequate, not good enough, don't know enough. But if you check in with your own self and have faith in yourself and take just a step outward up from inside, right, from from the inner well-being, inner well, then you'll realize how much you really have, how much peace and calm and ability you have and how you can apply everything that you have learned in your education. <clears throat> All right. The next gate after the 48 will be the 57. And the 57 is the most intuitive gate in human design. It is the gate of intuition, right? It is the gate of clarity in the highest expression uh, in the gene keys, in the Sidhi expression. It is clarity, the clear knowing, right? Clear and clear, just intuition. And the 57 can also make it up to the throat center, right? So the 57's fear is the fear of the future, the fear of the future, because I might intuit that there's trouble ahead, right? I might intuit that something might be happening. So then I can effectively cut off my intuition out of fear. So we never need fear the future, but the fear in the gate 57 or the shadow energy in the 57 can be about knowing, right? Not wanting to know or the fear of uh, the future. In the next gate that Venus will set in, and remember now, Venus is representing our money, our values, and our relationships. So those are the likely places in your life at this moment in time 
where these things are going to play out, right? It can play out in your relationships, both personal and professional. It can play out where maybe there's somebody questioning your values or you might be questioning your own values or someone else's values and maybe even questioning yourself, am I living in alignment with my value or my values? And then it can also be uh, financial, right? A fear about the financial future, right? A lot of people are not working yet or are uh, looking facing unemployment benefits running out. So there can be some financial fears going on out there as well. Fear is fear, right? Fear is fear and it can stop you from living from your intuition. It can stop you from living an instinctual life. So keep that in mind as we go forward through these next few weeks. By the way, Venus is in Libra from August 16th or 15th, 15th, 16th, depending on time zone, where you are in the world, uh, through September 10th. So we have about, oh, just shy of a month of, of this uh, energy in our reality. And then the next gate that after the gate um, 57, we go to the 32. Now the 32 is an interesting gate because it's called the gate of success or the fear is the gate of failure. But it is also sometimes called the gate of endurance because the people that have this gate defined or when it's defined by a planet, we have a tendency to hold on. Like we, we get sort of a boost of the ability to stay with something um, until we either reach success or we finally find out that it is a failure. Now, failure isn't a bad thing here either. The fear is that it's failure, that we personally are the failure. Not that the program failed or that idea was a bust. Um, we take it personally. So in the gate 32, we'll be dealing with the fear that somehow we failed, right? We failed. I know one of the fears that uh, came up for me not long after Brian died was that I failed as a mother. There was that, it was short-lived, uh, but it, sometimes it still comes back at me where I feel like, could I have done something different? So we, we all have this gate 32 that's going to come up during this period of time. And we're looking at the energy of failure and success. And what we see is that the only real failure of a human being is to not experience everything that life is bringing you, everything that has been attracted to you. So the gate 32 will be an interesting gate. The last of the uh, spleen gates that the planet Venus will hit is the gate 50. It is called the gate of values. Now the gate of values is uh, a very feminine energy. What we have here is the feminine energy of determining what it is we as a people, as a family, as a tribe, as a community, as a nation, as a planet value. So do we value clean air? Do we value clean water? That might be a planetary thing. Do we value a planet that's not, you know, roasting one minute and shivering the next? Um, in our families, do we value our children, their education, their being able to go and see doctors or to have good healers, to be clothed, to have enough food, to have um, toxin-free food, to have toxin-free water, those values, right? So everything to do in the gate 50 is going to be about the values that support the children or to support the family. And so we often think of the 50 sometimes as how it is that we raise up uh, our family. How do we pass on our traditions? How do we pass on our values from the parent to the progeny? 
uh, and then how does that affect the tribe, right, or uh, the group that we are a part of. The fear in the gate 50, the shadow in the gate 50, is the, the fear that we're going to fail in our responsibility to our children or to our uh, the people that we are in charge of or that we care for, that we nurture. Um, so there's like this edge here where you can pass on the values. You can teach them how to fish. You can teach them how to take care of one another. But in the end, as they grow up and become responsible adults themselves or responsible members of the community, then they are now responsible for the caring, the giving, the nurturing, and um, demonstrating those values in, um, in, in life, not you, right? So there's a point at which sometimes we don't want to cut the apron strings. Maybe we're smother mothering um, or we are taking too much to heart that it's our responsibility for their failures or their successes or how they go on and nurture in their lives. So we have a power packed time here because not only is Venus here kind of we've had this we've had the moon come through here these gates we've had we'll have Venus go through these gates and not long after Venus exits maybe a week or two later then the sun moves into Libra and the sun then will start to um, contribute his very powerful energy to these fears and the expression of these fears here uh, on the planet. So we have an extended period of time for these Venusian lessons to sort of seep in and to help us really get clarity around what it is that we value and how we're going to express those values and how we are going to live the highest and best of our relationships in all of this. Um, before I stop sharing the screen and go to questions, which I thought I saw another question come up. Uh, nope, it was just that one. Okay, good. If you have questions, though, please feel free to put those in the chat. Asa will get those to me. Um, I wanted to show where the human design energy is for the weekend, uh, for the sun, the earth. Um, the sun is now up here at the gate four. So the gate uh, four sits on the Ajna. The Ajna is the center for mental awareness. Notice I said mental awareness. There is no mental decision making here. There is no decision making in the Ajna. Uh, decision making doesn't happen in the mind, right? Decisions all take place from the identity center down, right? The identity center down. There is a rare um, configuration where a projector can have only maybe the head and the Ajna defined, and they do have mental awareness that is a part of their decision making but they have to take their thoughts and their ideas and share them with others to get a clearer read because everything down here in the body would be open. For the most part, thinking does not equal decision-making, right? So we have the gate four reminding us that because the gate four is filled with answers to questions, both asked and unasked. So the sun giving us some uh, insight perhaps into uh, the mental processes, right? This is sometimes in, um, uh, is it the jinkies? I don't know. But anyway, somewhere in human design jinkies, we call this sometimes the gate of possibilities, possibilities thinking, because it has so many opportunities, so it can see so many different things, can have access to a lot of different ideas. Um, but it is uh, also a, a gate where the sun is um, finishing its transit through Leo, 
And these answers can sometimes bring some very creative solutions to the problems that we have. So I, I love this uh, gate four, but just don't think that all of the time you have to have the answers, right? You have to be sort of open to the possibilities that are coming and not just the hard and fast solutions that you think there are. Sun teaching us that. Now the earth, earth brings up the, the um, sort of the challenge, if you will. I always call it like laying down the gauntlet. What is it that we have to work through first in order to get to the, in this case, mental answers or solutions that we want? And it creates revolution here in the gate 49. This is an emotional revolution. We have to stop being in reaction to the things that are happening around us. So our reaction energies, for example, what happens when you hear bad news, right? What happens when uh, something tragic happens in your life? We have these set things that we react to. The gate 49 is a gate that takes us out of the old reactions and re into revolution or into rebellion, rebelling against the uh, standard way of behaving. It asks us to elevate our way of thinking, our way of being. And uh, I, I, I really see this uh, in the millennials, right? The millennial generation. And I see the struggle in the gate 49 between the millennials who have that gate sort of as, I think it's one of their hallmarks, right? Of their, of their generation. And the older generations that are um, holding fast to the way things used to be right, the old ways, and um, thinking that, you know, the millennial generation, there's something wrong with them because they're not going to stick at a job for 30 years. They want more from life. They're more emotional. They don't believe in the old eight to 10 hour work day and that everybody should be, you know, on task at a job for all of those time, hours and not living their life in a different way. So the millennial generation sort of epitomizes this gate 49, this revolution that's occurring. Well, the earth challenging us with this revolution this, this week, giving us the opportunity to see new solutions, right? To see new ways of being, new ways of doing things. Um, the gate 22, I put this on here because today, Thursday, uh, Neptune is in retrograde. So we're finding ourselves in a position of being more intuitive. Um, being in, more in the knowing field, like knowing things and just going, wow, how did I know that? Or uh, reading people's minds. I've been doing that a lot lately. And it's because uh, when Neptune is in retrograde, we are uh, more inward focused anyway, spiritually. And when we're focused inward, we're listening more to what's going on in our inner world, in our inner dynamic. Now that Neptune is retrograde, he's moved backward into the gate 22. So he's moved out of the crisis, restless energy here, the adventurer energy of the 36, where he has been for the last few months, back into the gate 22, which is called the gate of grace or graciousness. It is a gate where our spiritual involution is occurring as far as Gene Keys is concerned. The gate 22 represents how it is that we can be in a state of grace, right? To be in a state of um, emotional awareness of how our broadcasted emotions affect others. So emotional energy broadcasts from us, right? And that broadcasts out as grace, but sometimes it can broadcast out as disgrace with this particular gate where 
if we are caught up in the reaction of something, right? Somebody says something you don't like and you jump down their throat kind of thing and become emotionally reactive instead of emotionally responsive. Um, this is a gate that becomes magnetic. It magnetizes to us the emotional experiences that are gonna elevate us as the solar plexus center is under mutation at the moment, right? We're undergoing a major mutation as human beings in the solar plexus. And the solar plexus being the way to calibrate what our heart's desires are and the feeling that tells us either we are on track in other words, we are magnetizing the right experiences, the right people, the right opportunities, or we're not, right? Based on we're focused in the wrong direction or maybe we're focused in the right direction. So the gate 22, the involution energy is about how we are becoming more aligned with spirit, with our higher selves. And uh, remember the gate 55 is the gate of evolution. So the outer world responding to the changes going place, go, taking place on the inner realms. So involution and evolution. Um, this is sometimes also thought of as the gate of divine benevolence, grace that is given in a situation, like in a, in a tragedy or in a difficult situation that we're in in our lives. It can also be thought of as beauty and elegance, which I think is very um, uh, Libran, uh, if we think of it as Libran energy here. Uh, so we have this energy now for, uh, I didn't actually look that up. How long are we going to be with the gate 22? I thought it was almost taking us through the end of the year. Indeed, it takes us through the end of the year. So we'll be in 22, uh, at least through December. I don't have the 2022 book yet, but at least through December. So we have a time where we are undergoing more the next level of our spiritual involution as humans on the planet. All right, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen, go back here, take a look at questions. Christine says, I have Neptune and Scorpio retrograde natal in your natal chart. Uh, Neptune and Scorpio are a people that it's a generation of people that are very much um, more spiritual, let's say, than religious or more open to the occult, if you will. Um, looking at religion and belief systems in a more synchronistic way, a more spiritual way, a more uh, signs and omens and all of these. So it, it's an entire generation. I'm also a part of that generation. I have Neptune and Scorpio as well. Uh, JLo says, I have Neptune retrograde in my natal chart. Funny, it's at 11 degrees and 22. Love it. Uh, and thank you, Christine. Great reminder, because I keep forgetting to ask people to please, if you're enjoying this video, hit the thumbs up button. Um, share it with your friends, right? Please share. If you have yet to uh, subscribe to the channel, please do that as well. Uh, I have no clue where I am on that. Um, but that's okay. Right now, my mind is in so many different directions. Um, but those are the things I need to remember to say. Hit the thumbs up. Share your vid. Share my videos with your friends or your networks or your your social medias. And if you haven't yet done it, please subscribe. Uh, okay. Now uh, let's talk really quickly uh, about Scorpio energy. We have about five minutes here before 
nine o'clock. Um, let's because the weekend moon is going to be in the sign of Scorpio. So interesting. We have you know Scorpio energy coming up with the generation that has Neptune and Scorpio, and Scorpio is a sign that has a lot of depth to it. So we move um, from the relationship focus of Libra into the depth energy, the power energy of Scorpio. It really rules empowerment and power of all sorts, right? So the awareness of people's motives, what's motivating people to do or say what they're saying or doing, the psychology of it, the the undercurrents, right? To be able to tap into the underside. So when we're talking about power and empowerment, let's just go to the more negative expression of Scorpio energy, which can be the misuse of power, where we use power in a revengeful or a jealous sort of way where we create power struggles with one another, uh, where things like abandonment and suspicion and guilt and shame all start to play a negative role in our experience. So those are the more negative energies here. But primarily when I think of Scorpio energy, I think of transformational energy, the idea of change and how we are always undergoing some form of transformation. We may call it death and rebirth. We may call it death, right? Death isn't final. It is just the transference of energy from one form to another. So transformation. Um, in the, the potential for the weekend as the moon starts to trigger emotional energy around things is that we can let go of baggage. Scorpio loves to hold on to the you know what, right? The, the guck, the, 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 the stuff that the, the grievances, the emotional baggage, things that have happened um, and, and wants to hold on to it. So the letting go of the baggage, the forgiveness of uh, each other or of ourselves. The, the letting go of judgment uh, around how we've hurt one another or things that have happened. This is a sign of crisis orientation. They're the best ones in a crisis. They know right what to do, right? They just get right in there. But they also can get uh, a sort of attachment to crisis so that they are generating a crisis around them. That would be one of the negative aspects uh, of it. Bonding energy, both sexual but also deep relationship intimacy, is a part of the Scorpio uh, sign. Self-mastery. Self-mastery is probably the biggest aspect of Scorpio in its highest. Remember, Scorpio is the embodiment of three different levels of energy. In its lowest energy, it's the passive aggressiveness of the scorpion, right? The scorpion that would rather sting itself to death than to, uh, you know, be cornered or to have to choose a different path. Um, the next level is the eagle, where they rise up out of the passive aggression, where they can see a higher uh, order. They can see a, from a higher perspective what needs to be done. And finally, the highest aspect of scorpionic energy is the uh, phoenix, the ability to completely transform right, to go through the process of immolation, to be rebirthed, right, to be rebirthed. So we have self-mastery here, the ability that we have to go through the changes in our lives, to go through the dark and come out into the light, to while we're in the dark, to remember the light, right, self-mastery. And then also financial partnerships, uh, um, an eighth house connection that Scorpio has to the astrology chart, where, um, 
the the money that we get from our partnerships so a spouse's income or the government uh, giving us money or uh, income taxes uh, debt debt and credit um, inheritances uh, those kinds of things all uh, in Scorpio energy so I just wanted you to be aware of those things during the weekend there are no major aspects going on over the weekend to be worried about although I would say today and maybe a, a couple of days through the weekend uh, there is a a Mars let me look and see again I want to see where Mars is at nine degrees of Virgo uh, so there is a quincunx or an inconjunct between Mars and Saturn and an inconjunct brings up the need for us to change, to morph, to go with the flow, uh, to uh, be adaptable. So Mars in Virgo wants a plan that is supported by Saturn. But Saturn is also in Aquarius right now. And Aquarian energy wants a plan to be more forward looking, wants a, form, uh, a plan to be more group centric. Right, has to be the um, um, oh, the good of the all, the good of the many, outweighing the good of the one or of the uh, few, and we see that struggle right now. At least I, I don't know about where you all live, but here in Washington, our governor has just made it mandatory for people in um, let's see, in the medical field, and I can't remember if there are other fields that he made it mandatory that you have to get a COVID shot by a certain date. I want to say it's in October sometime. And I think I shared with you that one of my daughters is dealing with this where her work said, if you don't have the shot by the end of August or you haven't started that process, then you no longer have a job here. And I, I look at that and I see it's like maybe the first big Aquarian, Saturn in Aquarius test that we're facing as human beings on the planet. And I see that because it is about what is the best, what is in the best interest of the public or the greater number of people, what is in the best interest of humanity versus our own independent selves. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's good or bad, right? I, I really, I mean, I'm a freedom loving person. And so there's a part of me that's a little sketched out by that, but there's precedent for this in our uh, world. I went back to the early 1900s when we were dealing with smallpox. And uh, it was taken all the way to the Supreme Court, the, the test of this ability of the government or um, uh, people in power to say you have to have uh, a, a shot or a vaccine in order to proceed forward. And the, the anti-vaxxers, if you will, lost in the Supreme Court in the instances where there's a pandemic or an epidemic, as smallpox was at that point in time, and as COVID is in our current time and day. So the first of those tests, right? And it's right and perfect, but we have to adjust. We have to adapt. We have to let go maybe of some of our preconceived notions of what that means to, to be a part of the group, um, but also how do we maintain sort of our individuality? So uh, the first big test, we see it right here. It's living astrology, right? We're living it right now. And Mars embodying the, um, the need for the public health. Virgo is a sign of the public health. And Saturn in Aquarius is saying, now, how do we guard the greatest number of people, right? How do we guard humanity? And in this case, it happens to be coming down to a shot, right? Or a vaccine. So, so interesting, right? We live in interesting times. 
and especially it's, sometimes it's not so easy to pick out the exact astro astrological signature, but we're looking at it right now, right? We're living it, that quincunx. Somehow we have to solve the problem and we can't solve the problem from the same level at which it was created. We have to rise up, right? We have to rise above those um, thoughts that we have. Um, uh, I don't know what that answer is, but we will find it, right? Uh, okay. Yes, uh, Christine, smallpox and polio were contained by vaccines. So we, you know, we have, and I, I was talking to my daughter yesterday and she's like, um, I say, you get, you know, you get your kids vaccinated, you do this, you do that, right? You, because I was vaccinated against smallpox, but after that, the, the kids didn't have to be vaccinated against smallpox. We eradicated it because of that, that process. Yeah, but this is so new and nobody knows what its effects are and blah, 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 blah. Well, nobody knew in the beginning what the smallpox vaccination would do to us either, right? We didn't know. We didn't know what the effects of the polio vaccine might do to us. We didn't know, right? And there are always going to be some of those people that have that negative reaction to the vaccines. That There's always that. Even to the flu vaccine, there's that, right? The chickenpox vaccine, etc. So I'm not saying that it's not all right to be anti-vax because everybody has the right to believe their own beliefs and to live their life on their truth, in their truth. But I am saying that this is evidence of some of these bigger Aquarian ideals that we're going to be working through as humanity here on the planet. And we're seeing it right now. JLo, I say I see civil war or maybe worse. I've had dreams since I was very young, never understood until now. It is being weaved in. It is. And um, most of the big wars that we as in the United States here have been involved in. I think it was World War II, the Civil War for sure. Maybe it was World War I. Um, and one of the other ones, Korean War? No. Ugh, I'd have to look this back up occurred when Uranus was in Gemini. And of course, right now, Uranus is in the midpoint of Taurus and the midpoint of a seven-year cycle, so about three and a half years into the cycle. And that means we have three and a half to four years before Uranus moves into Gemini. And uh, the process of then a civil war is certainly a potential or a war of some kind, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion that we have to divide up into two different camps, into the dualist nature of Gemini, just because um, the planet moves into a sign that has triggered major confrontations in the past, um, because we're evolving, right? We're an evolving species. And I think that drags us backwards right? Those kinds of thoughts drag us backwards. And yes, we have differing ideas about what's right and what's wrong. We have differing, you know, ways of seeing the situation on the planet or in, in the country even. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to resort to war. It does not resort. We don't have to resort to the uncivility of uh, a civil war or any kind of war for that matter. So, uh, and I think the way that we work through that is we keep to our own Selves, right? We we keep to our own involution and to our own evolution. We can't change everybody in the outer world. We can change ourselves, though, and our reactions and our responses. Rather than reactionary, we can become responsive, and we can certainly make a change in the planet. So, there we go. Uh, amen. Christian Christine says it does not 
have to be that way at all. Absolutely not. Um, so that is it for me today. I wish you all a wonderful weekend and I wish you much love, peace and collaboration, co-creation, cooperation and empowerment. All right, I'll take care. See you all on Monday morning. Bye for now.